Hi, Mason, and welcome to another 9320 special podcast. Um, today, we are going to be discussing the big mail on Sunday splash from Sunday uh, about what seems like a Premier League investigation into uh, the Der Spiegel leaks and financial fair play. Although even that is not completely clear uh, for the moment. Joining me as always for, for these pods, I've got Stefan. Afternoon, Stefan. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Um, look, I want to get straight into this. Let's go, let's go back to, I believe initially, there was some sort of reporting back in March about something that was moving through the high court uh, some type of uh, case between City and the Premier League. Um, so is that is is that the rational starting point for this conversation? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that's the starting point. So we we first learned about this publicly mm. um, at the same time, of course, as uh, as the Mail on Sunday and everybody else. So this wasn't a um, this wasn't a sort of Mail on Sunday splash uh, discovery. Uh, they found out about it at the same time we found out about it. Um, and uh, when the the judgment, a very kind of short-form judgment of this hearing that happened in March was published um, on, um, on the court's website. Uh, and it got forwarded to me by somebody. Um, and uh, it then started, it, it then became public. So that we knew about it around then. The Daily Mail obviously started, uh, sorry, Mail on Sunday then started asking questions about it, um, as I think did other journalists to the Premier League, and the Premier League, uh, as they were bound to do, uh, because to do, to, to do anything different given the privacy um, uh, 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 regulations from the court, uh, it would have been potentially contempt of court to, to breach it. So everybody effectively offered a no comment, um, both on the city side and also the Premier League side, as I understand it. However, at somewhere along the way, the Mail on Sunday and the New York Times wrote a piece referring to the judgment and saying that actually it had been some kind of challenge related to an FFP investigation by the Premier League. <clears throat> so, uh, because we knew the parties, so we obviously knew City versus the Premier League. Uh, we didn't know much more than that. Yeah. Fast forward uh, to last week, and I can't remember which day it was now, but um, the judgment came out. Uh so the long form version. So, so I want to be clear well, about something because I'm not clear about it. So yeah. the thing in March was like a short form version, and then the thing that no, came out last. No, no, not really. So let, let's just let, so, so really what the judgment last week told us is is what had happened in March. Okay, and what had happened since March in terms of that March judgment. So if you, in very simple terms, we don't want to get bogged down in this because it's actually really, really technical and boring, but privacy, um, substantive kind of meaningful um, argument in front of the court in March about a mm. couple of aspects of the Premier League's procedure. The reporting of that is restricted because both parties want to maintain the privacy of that 
process and that judgment. Judge at the time of March says, well, I've I've made a judgment in relation to the substantive part of our deliberations, i.e. the things that they're actually arguing about. And I'm also going to make a judgment in relation to publication mm. as a separate judgment. Okay. And Mr. Manchester City and Mr. Premier League, I've decided that despite you both wanting to keep it private, it's in the public interest to, to publish it. City then say, well, uh, we'd like to give it one last go at keeping it private. So we would like to appeal to the course of appeal against your publication judgment, mm-hmm. not against your substantive merits judgment. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to argue again that you got the judgment wrong in terms of merits. We're going to argue that you shouldn't publish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, as always happens in these scenarios, the judge at the time says, uh, no, why would I Why would I allow you to uh, go to the Court of Appeal and effectively say that I've got it wrong? So the judge says, no, you can't go to the Court of Appeal. Parties then have the opportunity to go direct to the Court of Appeal and say to the Court of Appeal, despite the fact that the judge in the High Court has said we can't go to the Court of Appeal, please will you hear an appeal on this point? And they set down their reasons why they want that appeal. In this case, they said, yes, we will allow the appeal. And that appeal was heard, I think, on the 30th of June. So that was the hearing that's been reported in the the Mail on Sunday in those graphic terms. Um, Because there's two articles in the Mail on Sunday. You know, some people may have missed it. There's one uh, by, I think it's Dan Matthews, uh, it's perfectly reasonable, fair, um, slightly flowery uh, version of, of a three-day Court of Appeal hearing, mm. uh, which he definitely would have been bored to death with because it is it is really dull and it's very technical on, on some really quite boring points. Uh, but he got the right to go with a last-minute application um, to the court and was allowed to go, and therefore, I think once he's gone and spent three days in court, he, he wants to write something. And so, aside from the the top of the page that says "City in the Dock," uh, which is complete nonsense, uh, aside from that, the rest of the report is, is perfectly fair and reasonable. And you know, I would expect him to write it, even though it's very dull. So they have the the Court of Appeal on the thirtieth of June. It rejects the arguments that are made and publication occurs uh, of the of the judgment that she rejects the appeal, sorry, that they reject the appeal. And it also triggers the release of all the other judgments of the hearings in March. Right. Okay. Let me ask you something before you carry on. Um, when both parties in a case ask for something to be kept private, how can a judge rule against both of them and say, well, in my opinion, it's public interest? Because, yeah, just explain that to me. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, the judges are not bound by – they're not 
they're not bound by the fact that the parties uh, want things kept private. I mean, there is a presumption of open justice in, in English law, and therefore the default is that things are published. Um, only in certain exceptional circumstances uh, are, are matters kept private. So certain types of case, uh, obviously national security, uh, you know, things of that nature. Sometimes arbitration is kept private because part of the, the reason for arbitration is so that parties can keep the um, the dispute private. So in a hold on. So in a divorce case, right, if both parties go, we want this kept private, would the judge sometimes do the same thing and go, all right, I don't care if you both want it private. You're both public people, so I'm going to pu- make make the judgment public. Yeah, potentially, but it, I think the I think in family law cases there is usually not a public interest in something like somebody's divorce, mm. right? So, how is it public? How is a um, uh, I mean, obviously, in a way, you don't, you, you can't answer this either. But it's just, it's a curious thing for me that um, this, this is a very technical thing that we're dealing with, right? And I can't help but feel like it's only in the public interest if you give a shit about football, right? Which well, it is, it is. But you've got to remember, so it's, it, it, this is an interesting point because you know a lot of people uh, talk about FFP and football finance and go, I just don't give a shit about it. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, why I want to watch football. I don't want to be talking about football finance or, uh, or, or accounting revenue recognition policy in, in football clubs or the amortization, the, the adjusted amortization of, of football players mm. or, you know, the three year qualifying, you know, all the crap. A lot of people say, don't care. But what was interesting, if you read the Athletic article, is obviously they're delighted that the thing has been published and that there's been a confirmation by the Court of Appeal that these matters are in the public interest. Because what people will point to in the future is that that is a, a you know quite a high uh, hurdle for somebody to overcome in terms of precedent. Because the Court of Appeal has now said that a football case is obviously in the public interest. And what they said in The Athletic, the Matt Slater article says that the stories that that have been written about FFP, about Sheffield Wednesday, FFP, about Derby, these are some of the most read pieces that they have. Hmm. So what's interesting is, whereas lots of people might say, I just don't care about it, actually the reality is, People do care, and it is something that people perceive as being clearly and obviously in the public interest. And I think, uh, perversely, in this situation, the fact that both parties wanted it private actually um, convinced the judges that there was there was clearly a public interest in publishing. So, because it's you know you get back to that, ooh, that's a bit what are they trying to hide type thing. Um, so I think. I don't think there's now going to be an argument that football is a public interest story. Yeah. And uh, it will be harder, I think, for uh, these things to to remain private 
to the extent they end up in the High Court. I think it's a bit different where it's a purely internal arbitration or disciplinary procedure. Mm. Um, but I'm not, you know, I don't know. These, these are, this is a very technical area of law. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, you're talking about a handful of leading counsel QCs who, who would understand the detail around uh, the, the, the framework that's required here on privacy. And, you know, I don't, I don't think this automatically means we now get um, the arbitration of city held in public with, you know, with 15 reporting um, journalists all getting the papers and everything else. I, I think it's unlikely that that will be the case, but we'll see. Okay. Okay. Um, so to go back to where we were, so give me in your, is this an opinion or is this fact that this is a financial fair play investigation connected to the Der Spiegel leaks? Yeah, well, I mean, I, so we now know, in my view, we now know uh, the broad, and I, and I have to stress this, the broad parameters of the investigation of the Premier League. Um, and, and I'll explain why, why, why I emphasise the broad. Mm-hmm. In, in the approved judgment that was published and is available for everybody to read, uh, if, you're, um, if you're particularly... Uh, dull. Uh, it sets out the factual background to the dispute, right? Okay. So it tells us how how the dispute has kind of arrived arrived at been arrived at. So it tells you some of the key dates in terms of the correspondence. It tells you when and and why the investigation commenced um, by the Premier League. It refers specifically to the Der Spiegel um, allegations. It, it refers uh, specifically to the media reports in April in terms of um, the, the Mail on Sunday and also the New York Times articles, which specifically reference FFP and Der Spiegel. Um, uh, I, I don't think there can be any question that the starting point here is not uh, is not third party ownership is not youth players but is the core financial fair play sponsorship um, you know breaches around sponsorship FFP this sort of traditional FFP um, allegations that's what that's at the core of the investigation of the premier league mm. now the reason i emphasize the, the the potential that it's a broader investigation is because what we don't know is what is what the premier league have asked for clearly city have been resisting serving up the information that was requested all the way back in i think december of 18 Mm-hmm. So City have consistently refused to hand over the full pack of documents that was requested. Now, that in itself is not unusual in litigation. So this is it's not litigation, but it's it's quasi litigation. And in litigation, it's perfectly normal 
for the parties to have very big rows about what each party hands over to each other around the matters in dispute. And that can be around whose documents they hand over. So is Simon Pearce, for these purposes, is he a key custodian of documents and therefore somebody that is, has to be compelled to hand over documents? Mm. Or should it be um, only whoever in the marketing department? You know, So you have these rows about individuals. You also have rows about gate ranges. So is it reasonable for example, for the Premier League, let's say the Premier League had said to City, well, what we want is all of the documents relating to the Etihad sponsorship, not just from 2010, but we uh, we want them all the way through to 2020. Mm. Because we're investigating now whether all of your submissions to us have been genuine. So we want to effectively, and this is what City would have responded to them, we want to effectively go on a fishing expedition to try and find something to get you with. Okay, hold and on. We're going to do that by asking for documents with a with a ten year range. Yeah, and we're going to and we want the documents from fifteen different people. Yeah, and then we want you to apply the following search terms to those documents, and then once you've done a review, to hand over anything relevant to us, uh, and we want you to do that by the end of, and then it'll be you know three six months on. Right. And then what you end up doing is you end up in litigation, parties having a massive row about um, about disclosure, which ultimately is either settled by the parties themselves and then consented to by the court. Or if the parties can't agree, they have to go to the court and the court then says, I agree with this, this and this. And and this is the order for what disclosure looks like. And it's a massively complicated, expensive Uh, and time-consuming process. Mm. What we don't know is what what that request from the Premier League looked like. Now, if it was a very tight request, if they said to City, what we want is the originals of every document in the Der Spiegel Leagues, that's it. If they Mm. said that and City resisted that, Mm. I'd be quite surprised. Okay. But didn't they resist that with UEFA? Yeah. So, again... Not, I'm, not I'm, ultimately. I think in, in CAS they finally yielded. And look, I think this brings us on to another point. I think the other read-through of these judgments is what we're looking at is City strategically fighting this situation in a way that is consistent with the the famous leaked... Um, I'd rather spend fifty million on lawyers or whatever, whatever the whatever the quote was. Um, I think it's true that City's approach is a very, uh, let, let's say, American style, yeah, super aggressive, resistant, yeah, uh, not not giving an inch, yeah. challenging literally everything, yeah, uh, even where. I, and and you know I may be right or maybe wrong, but even where their QCs say we really are not going to win this point, yeah, uh, I'll run it for you, but we're really not going to win it. And you know, and what that leads to is a situation where, in the course of appeal, the judgment says I was unimpressed by Lord Panic's arguments in respect of certain points. 
Now, I don't know Lord Panic. Um, he was on my flight back from Porto, actually, um, but um, I didn't. I didn't think to say hello. Not that I know him, <laughs> not, not that I know him but um, I assume he's a Chelsea fan. Um, and uh, I suspect he would not have taken kindly to be put in a position where he was fighting an almost certain certain losing battle mm. and then get pretty close to you know a judicial criticism not not nothing formal yeah but you know my experience of of QCs is they just don't like they don't like that kind of framing yeah um, of 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 their arguments um you know and i think it was also referred to elsewhere that the judge in the initial hearing perceived this to be a, a tactical ploy by city and again you know there's an element there of the of the judge saying i don't i don't really believe that you really believed in your own case mm. um and and that's not you know that's not often the way it's done in uh, in english law um but I think it is the approach City are taking. That, no, that's pure speculation. I just look at some of these arguments that they seem to have run, and it seems to me that they're just not great arguments, you know. And they they weren't they weren't even close to sort of succeeding on the points that they were running. And you also go, and this is a bit harsher on City because we don't have all the information. But you also question why they were running some of these points. You know, so something that I tweeted earlier, running a very sort of technical argument around wanting to be within the rule W procedure in the Premier League rules rather than being within the rule X arbitration procedure in the Premier League rules. Very hard to understand why they would want to do that. Um, You know, arguing that the panel was fundamentally biased when really it was the appointment of two QCs and then the, arb- the, the arbitrators appointing a chairman, um, Nigel Haver's brother, as, as the chairman. And, you know, just very unlikely that a court is going to go, yeah, I agree with you that those three QCs, it does have the, it does have the look of something that's, in, that's, um, that's not impartial. I mean... Very unlikely, I would think, that the court would support City's arguments on these points. So overall, I think what you're seeing here is City going to fight all the way. And it's worked pretty well so far because it's stretched this thing out already to uh, almost two and a half years, well, more than two and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe you know City would think is a good thing. Um, I think it seems to me to have an impact on on limitation and time barring because at this stage no charges have actually been brought against city uh and therefore sorry hold on so i want to i want i want you to explain that to me because i think this is a point that i've seen a few times being made but for the layman it ain't really going to make any sense so, well, I, yeah, it's very complicated, I have to say, because there's a few different aspects. And this is the same at CAS. There's a few different aspects to it, right? So the first question is, does limitation apply? Well, no, no, sorry. First question, is there a limitation? Limitation means, can you prosecute something 
more than a certain amount of time yeah. before, right? So the, the standard English law – so let's start with UEFA. The standard UEFA rule is anything more than five years before is out of time and time-barred, right? Okay. And we all know that that was the technicality, although it's not a technicality, it's a very important point, on which City um, succeeded in a number of aspects at CAS. Okay? So then there's the question, does the Premier League have any equivalent to the five-year rule? There's been a lot of talk in uh, a lot of publications that there is no limitation equivalent to the five-year rule in the Premier League rules. Now, I've been consistent in pointing out that it says explicitly that the matters around the Premier League rules are governed by English law. Under English law, the Limitation Act would impute a six-year statute of limitation around commercial matters of this nature. Six years from when? From... The, the cause of action that you're trying to prosecute, right? So you go back. So so let's say the breach, right? So the breach, City sent in a document um, on the 1st of August 2014, right? For the sake of discussion. Yeah. Um, technically, without kind of, trying to get round the six years, once you get to 2020, 1st of August 2020, the Premier League can't say, hang on a minute, that filing you made in August 2014 was in breach and we're charging you. So, Technically, they can try and do that, but they would be out of time. Okay, so it, it goes back yeah. to, so it's the date at which the 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 initial thing happens so for example if we are currently talking about an ffp monitoring period the prem because the premier leagues is yearly unless i'm mistaken right so let's say for argument's sake that they're talking about the summer of 2012 yeah then at the end of the summer of 2018 under english law that's over yeah I I think it'll be around the filing of a document, for example. Right? Gotcha. Because if you think about when when this would crystallise, what, what is the offence? Well, the offence must be that within documents submitted to the Premier League, as at a certain date, they were false or they were in breach of something and therefore they gave rise to something that was a disciplinary measure by by the Premier League. And then it's a case of, okay, well, the Premier League has to say, you're in breach now in relation to that thing that happened within six years of us saying you're in breach, and therefore we are prosecuting it. Now, they haven't done that because they're not able to yet. They're still investigating it. If I'm in litigation with somebody, if I'm in litigation with a, part, with a, with a counterparty and I'm – I'm sending them a letter before action, right? So the way that it typically works is you send them a letter saying, we think we've got this claim um, relating to this matter that happened a few years ago or a few months ago. Now, that's not good enough to stop the clock running, right? I've still got to get my claim in six years from the date of the breach, 
right? So the start of an investigation doesn't stop the clock. They have to actually f- formulate the uh, the charge. And if you remember, that's part of the reason why there was all of that panic running around at UEFA. And, you know, they, they, it looked like what they ended up doing is realizing they might be coming close to a key date, and then they ran around and tried to uh, and started uh, and made the charge. Right. So on the face of it, the Premier League, and and that's without going into all of, there's a lot of detail around statute of limitation. You can get around six years. Six years will fall away if the Premier League can prove fraud, concealment of, of factual matters that gives rise to the claim. So, for example, if you've got no way of knowing that somebody had uh, breached a contract because they breached this contract six years ago. They never told you about it, despite you asking about it. And then it turns up in inadvertently is disclosed to you, maybe as part of another matter. That's the sort of thing that's going to get round the six years because somebody has deliberately tried to mislead you or deliberately concealed it from you. And it, and it was something that gave rise to the actual, to the actual breach. That's something that's legitimate to extend the six years. There's nothing that I can see, unless the Premier League are successful in showing very, very serious uh, f- false accounting, fraud, deliberate concealment of facts, not evidence, so not emails, not the occasional thing that will strengthen their case, facts. Unless the Premier League can show that, they're not going to be able to get around the six years. Okay. So the, the idea that there is no limitation in the Premier League rules is just not right. Okay. There is a limitation. And uh, I, don't, I don't suggest it's black and white, uh, but I do suggest that there is a high hurdle to get around the six-year limit um, because people, there, there is a presumption that people should be allowed to move on with their lives um, from a, on a commercial basis after a certain amount of time, and and that's where you know that's where I, I think that will ultimately be be a key point. Mm. So if you if you cast your mind back to Cass and the build up to Cass, um, one of the things that was trumpeted by. Uh, you know, certain journalists, and I use that term pretty loosely as well, was this idea that what was in the public domain was not everything that UEFA had. I don't know if you remember, but in the week before the cast... Yeah, Tony Evans Evans always said, and he's still saying it now. I mean, yesterday, Tony Evans, uh, I think, uh, just replying to somebody, said... Oh, you know, there's massive, massive. Wait till you see what else they've got. Right. So this is so. This is my question, right? So, to be clear, where would a breach need to land? Yeah, in terms of dates, when what would they need to have from when for it to be actionable in 2021? Well, look, don't confuse limitation on evidence. Yeah with a limitation on the actual breach and cause of action, okay? Evidence, 
I could have a piece of evidence from 20 years ago that's relevant to a case now. Yeah. Right. I can still present that to court. I can still put that to a, to a Oh, witness. no, I get that. I get, I, get, right? I get that. So there's no timing out of evidence. Obviously, the, the, the older it gets, I mean, the less probative it is. Um, and that you know, it's it's just less valuable because you're like, well, how is that relevant? It's a twenty year old piece of evidence. Uh, clearly, the evidence of from December thirteen in this big splash Mail on Sunday article, that email is obviously a useful email to put in cross examination to Simon Pierce, right? So. If this was in the high court, and I don't know how the arbitration will deal with this, and there, there are no parameters around it because it can all be decided by the chairman of the arbitration. But mm-hmm. if if this was in the high court, what somebody, what a barrister would be doing is saying, so Mr. Pierce, I can see that at CAS, under a sworn uh, witness statement, you said the following. And then he'll quote the thing that was quoted in the Mail on Sunday piece where uh, Simon Pierce says, I've never, um, have you ever been involved in um, procuring or arranging payment from um, the EEA to Manchester City or, or something like that, right? Yeah. And and Pierce answers in the affirmative uh, or, or, or conclusively, Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And so so the barrister will, will then say, well, hang on a minute. You've just told the court or you told the, the CAS court under, under uh, a statement of truth that you'd never done it. If I can refer you to this email dated the 13th of December 2013, and, the, and, and Pierce will have a read of the email, and they'll then say to Pierce, if you just read down the page, halfway down the page, you say, I have paid over uh, too much money to you. Do you not say that, Mr. Pierce? And Pierce is bound to say, yes, that's what I said in my email. And then he says, well, isn't that because you did arrange uh payments from the EEA to Manchester City Football Club on behalf of Etihad. Isn't that actually the case? And what you said to Cass uh, was not correct. Isn't that right, Mr. Pierce? And then Simon Pierce is in a very difficult position. And what they then are trying to get the judge to accept is that Pierce is effectively not a reliable witness and therefore his statements at CAS, which ultimately were accepted by CAS, mm-hmm. and, and CAS said yeah. in relation to Pierce that that um, that Pierce didn't strike the panel as an unreliable witness, um, and therefore accepted his evidence. And in any event, there was really no evidence presented uh, that. Um, that he wasn't a reliable witness. So it was kind of accepted within the court that he was reliable. But in this case, what that email would be used for is to show the court or to show the arbitration that Pierce's evidence can't be relied upon. Once Pierce's evidence can't be relied upon, they've got more of a chance of proving that, that payments were made 
that were not uh, within the rules. Well, and that's, where, that's why that bit of evidence is useful, uh, useful to a barrister. That's why it's made out to be the smoking gun email. I don't think it is, uh, but that's the way it would be portrayed. Okay. What? So I'm still confused, right? And I'll tell you why I'm confused because um, that 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 kind of exchange relates to a payment that was made in 2011, 2010, even. Yeah. So we're talking. No, about- I don't. I don't think. In fairness, I don't think it does. I think it relates to a payment that was that that had just been made in December of 2013. But I don't think that's the point I'm making, right? Because what, where I think the Premier League will have to get to, and I, I, this is not where I think they will go, because I don't think the Premier League can be seen to be effectively accusing one of the most important clubs within their mem- within their shareholder base of wholesale accounting fraud. Mm. <laughs> For want of a better phrase, yeah, right. I just it should it should not going to happen, yeah, right. And nor is, in my opinion, nor is the arbitration a place where such an allegation can properly be addressed. Uh, you know, as I've always said, that kind of allegation is something that re- would require a trial of many weeks in the high court mm. with multiple witnesses. Uh, lots of experts and everything else. It can't be dealt with in a three-day hearing in front of an arbitration panel in private. So I don't think the Premier League can go in that direction. So what are um, they doing then? Sorry? So what are they doing then? I mean, I'm, well, I don't it, think they know what they're doing, right? And we've got, you know, this, unfortunately, this, because it's an unscripted podcast, we kind of, we've ended up going down a few rabbit holes and just exploring it. But, I think ultimately this is, why are the Premier League doing what they're doing? Well, they're in a really difficult position. So they're being wound up by 19 other clubs. Mm -hmm. They're being wound up by the media. They, I think, will appreciate that this is a really tricky situation. You've got Cass has effectively said City have done nothing wrong. You know, within, there's wrinkles around that, but effectively have said that. Um, and it's irrelevant whether people believe it or don't believe it or whatever. It's, it's not relevant. It's been through a process, a, a, a quasi-judicial process, and that was the conclusion after a hearing, after evidence, after submissions from high-quality um, QCs and, and other lawyers. Right, That is the conclusion they drew. So so the Premier League then have got, they've got this wall of people egging them on, but then they've also got the issue of, well, what did they actually do? Mm. Then they've got the problems of City being super defensive and aggressive in terms of the legal process and not handing over documents. Then they've got the problem that the, the structures around the Premier League are not designed to deal with matters of high com- accounting complexity. That they're, they're usually meant to be for a booking or... Yeah. You know, or a bit of crowd disturbance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a structure that lends itself to a, a, a six-month trial around whether City properly accounted for something in 2015, 2014, 2013, whatever. Mm. It's just not set up for that. <clears throat> but what do they do? Because they're being egged on 
to do something, they've got it's it's very difficult. I don't I don't um, I sympathise with the Premier League in respect of this. It's really tough because do you think between a rock and a hard place? Do you think that's why both sides wanted it to remain um, confidential and private? Well, well, City City's battle on it is because they just don't want any more innuendo, and they don't want any more. Um, they want they want this all to go away, as frankly, they probably believe they're entitled to following Cass, and because of limitation, um, and because also the consequence of as always, of it not going away can be potentially very bad because, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, and the Mail on Sunday goes pretty close to it, they're calling Pierce a liar in in signed statements. Mm. They're saying he lied. I mean, there's no, you know, you can dance around it, but that's what the Mail on Sunday is saying. Um, I mean, uh, to be honest, like uh, uh, we have these conversations, and I always reach a point where I'm like, we we're talking like somebody got killed. You understand what I mean? Like the the emotional rhetoric from the dog shit media is such that you you know this is spoken about in very finite terms, and the very finite terms are cheat. Yeah, the, va- the very finite terms are. Uh, you, you see what I'm driving at here. It's like so, it's so emotionally loaded. And actually, like when you dig into it, you're talking about like, you know, accounting shenanigans based on governing bodies rules, right? And not only that, but you're talking about governing body rules that have changed several times since they, these things that we are being charged with, uh, came into play, those rules have been watered down and changed several times since then. And it just, I mean, I don't know, you, again, this is something that you can explain to me. Like if the law is changed on something, yeah, if we wake up in 2018 and the law changes on, I don't know, drunk driving, you can't go back six years and apply the law from six years ago, can you, in a court case? No, but in fairness, they're not trying to do that. I think the, the problem that exists here is, Everybody knows that City ended up doing a whole load of related party transactions, whether technically related party or not technically related party. They're all with either directly related parties in the technical sense or people who are pretty close to being related parties and therefore not fully arm's length. Everybody knows that, right? It's impossible, really, if we're being honest, it's impossible to deny that 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 is that is the case. Yeah. However, the regulating bodies, as with the auditors, have to apply the relevant accounting and legal tests to that. So just because something might have the smell of being something that's related, a related party, it doesn't mean it is. Mm. It's got to be shown to be. It's got to be proven by the standards, either the accounting standards and all the legal standards, depending on what applies. And those standards can be different. You know, so for example, if you do a transaction, the definition of a related party transaction in in one listed 
business, let's say, or business listed on the stock exchange is not necessarily the same as the related party definition that applies to a company who's audited in Canada. You know, yeah. definitions change around these things. And, and City will be always coming back to the fact that we don't really care if you think it all looks a bit dodgy. And if you want to throw in the innuendo that it is in the way, again, the Mail on Sunday very clearly do with the £600 million piece of this this article. I don't know if you've seen that piece. So as, as a there's a box in the in the uh, in the article that says, oh, how do you explain that City have generated £600 million more than the average of Arsenal, Liverpool and Chelsea in commercial revenue over the last 10 years? Hmm. How do you explain that? And really, we all know what they're saying, right? They're saying that all of this is all fictional, related party uh money pushed through different organizations funneled into city right you don't you don't need we know what the inference is yeah now the problem with that and the way that they're saying it is city got 10 years of audited accounts where presumably the auditors given the scale of the etihad sponsorship as an example the auditors have said to city Please, can we see the Etihad contract? And please, can you show us where the money arrived in your bank account from in respect of those £100 million a year contracts, whatever it was? Mm -hmm. As an auditor, they should be doing that. You know, this is clearly one of the most material contracts in the business, and therefore they should be validating both the contract exists and that the money that came into the club relating to that contract came into the club, right? I mean, that's that's what auditors should be doing so that they can sign off the accounts as being true and fair. Now, this is why we always get back to a situation where if you get this down to its nuts and bolts, people like the Mail on Sunday and the other people making the allegations against the club are in essence saying, the accounts are false. You know, they can they can dress it up however they like, but that's the allegation. How and high that is, is that a bar? very serious allegation? Yeah, how high is that bar? Like it's in very terms, high. It's very high. In I terms see. of the kind of because I think that there's a there's a clear line between for me between reputational damage and actual law breaking, right? Um in your opinion, is it possible for an entity like the Premier League to prove that City falsified accounts within this process that we're currently going through? Well, I, I don't think it's possible, even if it was in in the High Court. Fine. I think, you know, even if it was a six-month trial, I don't think they'd be able to do it. Uh, they certainly can't do, you certainly can't make an allegation and prove out an allegation of that nature in three days or mm-hmm. whatever the arbitration is. I, you know, I just don't see it. Mm. Uh, you know, I may well be. So I don't think I will be proved wrong because ultimately I don't think the Premier League will go down that route. I mean, that wasn't ultimately the allegation that was made by UEFA. They dressed it up in a different way. I mean, we, you know, we don't, we, we don't get, we don't have all the papers, but 
they didn't dress it up as, oh, you've just filed 10 years of false accounts. Right? They dress it up in a different way. They say that this transaction, but the bottom line is, this is now this is now regulated with with English um, QCs or arbitrators. There'll always be QCs and above, probably in terms of the arbitration panel. Um, they know the rule. They know they know the rules on this stuff. They know the 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 heightened burdens around this, and they know that an arbitration of this nature is just not set up to get round the fact that a competent auditor has audited the club for 10 years and found these to be, you know, acceptable uh, contracts, etc. So uh, I, I just don't, I think it's extremely unlikely that the Premier League will be able to uh, make out a case of that nature even if there's no limitation um, in this in this environment, but so what happens okay, back to the fact? Just just one sec. They've got to. What are they going to do? Right. So because they're being pulled in these different directions, which is which ultimately is why a number of people are saying where this will end up is where Cass ended up, which is to say, actually. We effectively give up, right? You're not cooperating. So what we're going to do is we're going to prosecute you on the same basis or similar basis that we'd prosecute somebody that dodges a drug test. We'd effectively say, well, we can't be sure that you took the drugs, but it's very serious that you didn't cooperate such that you evaded justice and therefore we're going to fine you or we're going to... Uh, sanction you as if you were guilty of the original offence and therefore we're going to do this, this and this. Now, I don't think that that, I think that ultimately ends up with being a financial penalty and um, and, that's, uh, and then everybody kind of goes away satisfied except for those people who are egging on the Premier League, including the 19 other shareholders. Mm. So it's a big issue. You know, it's a really difficult situation for the Premier League, I think. It's a headache because there's no easy solution. Well, I mean, yeah, there's no easy solution unless you tell the 19 other stakeholders to fuck off and go. Well, well, I think, yeah. And I think that is important. You know, at some point, um, whoever is in charge of the process, at some point has to weigh all of this up and go well it might be a difficult decision to drop it you know it might be it might cause us some criticism it might i might get 19 emails from the club chairman going how could you drop it but ultimately i as the decision maker whether that's masters or somebody else have to make these decisions based on the advice that you take and based on the facts as they're presented by those advisors and it may be that balancing it all they have to say, for all the reasons that I was presented by my independent advisors and my lawyers, the conclusion we came to was that we needed to drop it. I mean, look, this happens in, not that it's a good analogy, but it happens within things like the CPS the whole time. Yeah. You've got the police going, 
we've got to prosecute the guy. And ultimately, the CPS are meant to be there to go, well, okay, thanks for all your, thanks for the paperwork. Thanks for your case. We're going to step back now and go, actually, is this in the public interest to do so? Have we got a realistic prospect of conviction? Mm. And, you know, it happens in all sorts of these sorts of realms. The, the serious fraud office do the same sort of process. Mm. Um, so, so it's possible that what could happen is that, so this ruling, it's beginning to become a little bit clearer for me. So this ruling was all about the production of paperwork that the no. Premier League were asking for before they could decide. No, it, it actually wasn't. I mean, that's, and that's the other thing that's like now got completely lost, even in this podcast, which is now, you know, it, I think it's ended up being a bit of a rambling mess um, because we've, we've just ended up sort of meandering around the topic, uh, which is, and it's probably very confusing. So apologies if anybody's got this far, but um. The actual hearing wasn't wasn't about that. It was about really technical aspects of whether whether they should go down one route or another in terms of the 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 process around um, asking for the documents. Mm-hmm. So should that be a disciplinary process or should it be an arbitration process? So that was one of the things the court was asked to decide. Um, then. Just, just flicking through these. So that was decided that it was reasonable um, that this should be dealt with under under Rule X, which is the arbitration leg, despite the fact that it had been commenced under the disciplinary leg, which is Rule W. Really boring, really difficult to understand from reading the judgment why City would want it through Rule W other than just to be awkward. Uh, you know, as far as I can see, Rule W doesn't seem to particularly help City. Uh, it doesn't give them the protections around arbitration. Uh, it, it puts in place a commission as opposed to an arbitration board. Uh, I don't know enough about the differences within Premier League uh, practicalities to know why you'd want the other. Um but clearly City thought it was worth having the argument and lost. The other part then was on uh, around uh, whether whether there is a real possibility that the tribunal that was set up around that Rule X was biased and impartial. Uh, uh, sorry, it was biased and partial. And again, they lost that. And it seems to me, again, very unlikely that... They would win such an argument, uh, given who was on there. Um, and then there's a few other matters that were also that, that were also decided, which are even less um, interesting around the time for assessing the impartiality. So that's what the, hear- the, the hearing itself was, was really very very technical and dull. The one in March, mm. right? You then had you then had the debate about publication of of this judgment. Uh, and neither party wanted it, and that neither party wanted it largely, as far as I can tell, because it referred to a factual background that confirmed that there was an ongoing investigation into FFP breaches by City. But then again, I think everybody knew there was an ongoing investigation into that 
they just thought that it got bogged down in the detail, which actually that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it wasn't that this, this hearing in the high court in March wasn't even as interesting as, uh, as, as asking the question, should city hand over the documents? That wasn't, that wasn't a question for the judge to decide. Okay. So is it possible that at the end of this, the Premier League don't actually levy any charges against City? Well, the, 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 in the Court of Appeal, I mean, that's exactly the point that was made in that snidey comment at the end around where, where the judge says, um, City, City are at pains to say, of course, this may never lead to any charges, which, which of course is true. Um, but but one wonders, and I'm paraphrasing here, but one wonders why it t- it's taken two and a half years, in which time City have won the league twice, uh, for us to get this far. Um, and the reason that, that that is a snidey comment, uh, for want of a better word, is because it infers that, in the judge's opinion, and not that it's relevant, but that one of the sanctions could be something to do with, uh, uh, you know, something as serious as cancelling titles or that sort of, you know, the very serious end of of sanction. It's just an unnecessary, no, it's not really prejudicial because it's not really going to influence anybody going forward, but it's just, it's a bit of a, it's just an overstepping of the mark in terms of what he was being asked to, um, to, to give a view on in my, in my opinion. Mm. Okay. Um, how long, like what's next? Cause I mean, I, I appreciate that you feel it was a bit long and rambling the, the, the podcast, but I'm, it's clearer for me. I feel less anxious now than I did at the start of the podcast. Um, I feel as though we're retreading the same ground, more or less, that we went through at Cass. And to paraphrase, certain people are expecting a different outcome, even though we're effectively treading the same path. We're dealing with the same Der Spiegel documents. We're dealing dealing with the same Simon Pierce emails. We're dealing with, on some level, similar issues around time limitations, time barring, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the Mail on Sunday and their smoking gun headlines, kind of Anthony Evans, they sort of give, again give the impression that you know there'll be a different outcome. The, the idea that one or two emails of the nature of those one or two emails that we've seen, the idea that those turn this case, it's just complete nonsense. Okay. I mean, you know, they're nowhere near that level, in my view. They're nowhere near the level that you, that you turn the case. You know, these are – one of them is a useful stick in cross-examination. It's nothing more than that. The other email that was released by Der Spiegel after Cass, as I've explained a number of times, including this morning, relates to the use and control, not in the context of controlling anything significant, the control of the booking of um, A-bars 
um, executive box. It's just a nonsense. It's either a a fundamental and deliberate misunderstanding of what the email says um, or, uh, or naivety. I don't know. I mean, who knows what it is, but it's just, it's just not going to be uh, the key to turning a case of this nature. Um, but we don't know a lot about, you know, we didn't know a lot about what the UEFA, UEFA's case was. We know even less about what the potential charge might be from, from the Premier League. So we don't know really. But, you know, it, I think it's interesting that actually online use the term smoking gun which is nonsense. In print, they didn't. Mm. So they used it as a, they they used it as an online headline, but it wasn't yeah. in there. Well, I actually only saw the smoking gun line on the Google on the Google News link. Yeah, not even not even on the Daily Mail online. I don't know whether they changed it at some point. Whether they used you know whether they kind of do some A/B testing to see what brings in more. Uh, clicks i don't know but it's just not i think it's a misunderstanding of the likely way this process goes to think that something something's as kind of unspecific as that is, is going to turn the whole case i mean the other thing is and it's referred to within within um within the judgment a lot of these documents are, are actually held by third parties, which so for example, Simon Pierce's uh, EEA e- uh, documents mm-hmm. are not are not City's documents. City, City are not in possession of those documents. Yeah, City can't automatically be compelled to produce documents that are not under their control. Now, it's mm. slightly grey because Pierce is on the board of some of these companies. Um, so, again, you're getting into real technical stuff. But it's not, uh, it's not as simple as somebody saying, you must deliver all Simon Pierce's emails from December 2013, regardless of what company they related to. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, the Premier League might be entitled to Simon Pierce's, Simon Pierce at MCFC, .co.uk emails, they're very unlikely to be entitled to these global emails. When will it be decided, um, as, as a kind of last point here, <laughs> 62 minutes in, um, what's, the, what's next? And what I mean by that is how long does this take? Like, well, is- we don't know, right? But what are, so I've heard... Uh, I don't know whether it's correct or not, but I've heard that City have handed over some documents. Okay. Right now, who knows what those documents are? Um, if we end up in a situation where, if this was, if this is a serious case, right? So if the charges are very serious, then very serious allegations require very serious levels of disclosure and and kind of exchanges of documents. And that'll probably have to go both ways, actually, as it happens. But um, because the club are also going to want to say, well, we, we need to see certain documents from your side that, that are relevant to our defence. But once it gets into those sorts of 
difficult situations. Although, as far as I can see in the arbitration rules, the um, the chair of the arbitration can set up whatever procedures, limits, etc., that he wishes to or she wishes to. The likelihood is that the more serious the allegations, the more wide-ranging those rules are going to have to be, the mm-hmm. longer that process is going to be, have to be given. You see within, the, within this judgment some of the toing and froing and timescales that, that have been gone through so far to get us to two and a half years, right? And it's not unusual. You send a letter to, you know, lawyers lawyers send letters to each other. You can have months between the reply. Yeah. Months. And that's not unusual. And then if you're saying, well, we want you to go and search through 3 million documents on your email server and produce all the ones that are relevant relating to this particular matter, well, how long do you think that takes? For somebody to literally manually go through, having having produced them to a set of parameters, dates, custodians, keyword searches, etc., even with the benefit of AI systems and platforms that are used now in these document discovery systems, it takes a long time for the parties to, one, go through their own documents, to remove anything that's legally privileged, to consider whether anything's relevant or not relevant, to see whether there's any confidentiality that needs redaction or anything of that sort of nature, then to eventually release the documents to the other side. Then the other side has got to go through a whole process of reading all of those documents, digesting them. Then there's a process of saying, well, oh, we can see that you've not given us the document that relates to this because we can see that there's document A that refers to document B, but you've not given us document B, so please can you search your servers for document B? You know, the process goes on for, I mean, I've got a situation at the moment where it's very likely that the time from the initial agreement of the timetable on disclosure through to trial will be in excess of a year. Okay. Right? And that's not unusual in in litigation. And we haven't even started, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe they have. Maybe they've handed over the documents, but they've not even been charged with anything yet. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, that's why I say, as I said yesterday, if this is something serious, the likelihood is that uh, you won't get an outcome on this before 2023 or or the end of 2012. uh, Sorry, 2022. You know, it takes a long, long time if it's something serious. If it's not something serious and it ends up being dealt with by you know, something where the, the maximum liability, let's say, is a five million quid fine, then yeah, I'm sure the parties can kind of figure it out pretty quickly. Uh, and and the thing is done and dusted by the end of December, right? Mm. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it, but it depends. It, it very much depends on the seriousness of it. Mm. Do you think, I mean, I, I my final thought on this is that it does feel a little bit like this is all about optics. It does really feel like there's 19 stakeholders who on some level want a pound of flesh. 
there is a media who also want the pound of flesh and between them they are effectively saying to the Premier League you have to be seen to be doing something even if nothing comes of it and then using the fact that they're doing something as almost like guilty in the court of public opinion that that sort of vibe um do you think I'm way wider the mark there um I don't know because it can be sometimes worse I think for than to be seen to be doing something, but the kind of the punchline to be very wet, you know. Yeah. So that can it can almost draw more criticism than if they you know, if they come out and go, well, we investigated it, uh, we looked at all the facts, uh, we can't go into them obviously because our processes are are private, but we can assure you that we did a full process over a three year period. And uh, having taken all the factors into consideration, uh, we considered uh, the allegations made in the Despiegel arguments uh, as being closed. And uh, you know, it, so you, I think I think you can have. I don't think it necessarily works to go. Well, yeah, we're, we're charging them, uh, and we've charged them a million quid. Mm. I mean, you know, it's almost worse. Yeah. So they've got that. Uh, as I said to you before. I think it's a very difficult situation for for the uh, for the Premier League themselves to to deal with. Okay, I think we're going to wrap it up there for now, Stefan. Thank you so much for for taking so much time to try and uh, make it a bit clearer. I think you did. Yeah, I'm not convinced, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see a bit meandering, I think. It's just it's just very complicated, and we don't. There's so much we don't know. That it's, exactly. You just, but like, hopefully it's given people some food for thought. We'll see. Definitely. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. Uh, as always, if you're not a member of the 9320 player, head over to our Twitter page, go to our website, check out what the 9320 player is. And if you fancy it, sign up and you'll get hours and hours of City podcasts every week. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.